Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to Monday Motivation, How Goals Saved My Life. Before I get started, I want to say thank you to all the people who reached out with kind words about Marlo. I am so, so touched by your support and stories of your own dogs. I recorded that episode just barely a day after Marlo died, and as you can tell, I was really, really raw. So I want to say thank you for letting me share that moment and those emotions with you. Today is the last of the Monday Motivations on goals, and I have been working myself up to this one. There's a reason why I so deeply believe in the power of goals, and more than that, in the ability for goals to help people recreate themselves. I want to do a quick warning, though. In this Monday Motivation, I'm going to talk about mental health, and if you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, please get support and help. Mental illness is no joke. What I talk about here, it's it's my story, and you shouldn't take it as advice. It's just my experience and my experience only. Get help if you need it. So my story starts on November 11th, 2011. I was working at an ad agency in Denver, Colorado, and I was a miserable, awful employee. I didn't want to work in advertising, but I had no other options at the time. Strapped with loads of credit card bills and student debt, it was the best paycheck I could get. I remember the moment on November 11th really clearly. The CEO of the company called me into his office, and you know what happens next. Murphy, I'm letting you go, he said. I sat there for a minute, a little stunned, maybe a little relieved. We talked about the details of how I'd leave. And I stole a quick moment to text my wife, just come pick me up right now. And then I packed up my desk and walked out of the office right in the middle of the day as all the other office workers tried desperately not to look at me. Is that a walk of shame? I don't know, but it sure felt like it. My wife picked me up in our beat up Jeep Grand Cherokee. She parked across the street from the office right in downtown Denver on the 16th Street Mall. I got fired. I said. I figured, she replied. I went over the details about what I did and didn't say, about what I should have said, all of it. We sat there for a long time before we drove back to the house we were renting. When we pulled into the driveway, she asked, what does this mean for health insurance, for baby? I told her I didn't know. We were three months pregnant with our first daughter at the time, and we just had more questions than answers. Over the course of the next week, I decided my next step, after writing for just a few years at that point, was going to be to apply to MFA programs. We'd move into my parents' basement for a few months until the acceptance letters rolled in. I set my sights low and applied to the full residency programs at NYU, Michigan, and Iowa. I had no idea what I was doing or how to write. I knew I loved story, and I wanted to write every day of my life. But I thought the way to do that was to have someone else teach me how to write. In the wake of three form rejection letters, we settled in to live with my parents in western Michigan. I eventually got a job. I kept writing. 
My first daughter, Violet, was born on a warm, sunny May morning when the birds were chirping. We eventually moved into a small, small, small house in Grand Rapids that, even to this day, I'm convinced was haunted. I hate that house. From the minute I moved to Western Michigan, my mental health started to deteriorate. I had always had demons in my closet. I had a darkness that I wasn't able to see clearly in college and in the rush of adulthood after college, but looking back, it was always there. I lived with a deep, paralyzing sadness, something that I thought wasn't meant to be felt by people. Slowly, as the months ticked by and my writing seemed to get worse, and I hope this never happens to you, but I can remember reading passages of a novel I was working on at the time from a year earlier and thinking they were better off than the stuff I was writing. My thoughts just turned darker. I tried to find work that paid the bills, but it wasn't happening. I tried to get a story together, but it wasn't happening. The thing is, is that I loved to write. It was the thing that brought me a smile, a bit of joy. I dreamed of writing. I thought it was the only thing that would make me happy. But I couldn't do it because I had to work, or I had to do something else, or... I was always being pulled in a direction that wasn't fair, that didn't respect my unbelievable writing genius. My mental health got worse. I saw a counselor. I wound up in many doctor's offices where they gave me medication to feel better. But I slowly whittled down. Nothing was working. I developed a constant chest pain as if there was always a huge boulder sitting on my chest. You know, one reason why mental illness was so dangerous to me was because it warped my vision of reality. The narrative of my head, the voices that told me I was worthless, slowly became the truth of my life. On my birthday, in May of 2012, sitting on a dock in Holland, Michigan, I remember detailing to my wife how she could move on when I was gone. I told her she'd probably only be sad for a little while, and maybe even a little relieved. I didn't blame her. I was a miserable man, a miserable husband. I remember she touched my arm and told me she would never get over losing me. I was shocked. Her words, they they jarred me. They didn't align at all with the voices in my head. I realize now the absurdity of telling another person how they would or should feel, but at the time, the logic made perfect sense to me. Eventually, after a year and a half of struggling, I just couldn't see a path forward. I made peace with the fact that I was a broken, damaged human. Around the same time, I read the book Les Mis. Yes, the entire book, not the musical, the book. Les Mis is now my favorite book of all time, largely because I love the redemption story of Jean Valjean. And what isn't to love? A man who has been in prison for 19 years, recently released, is taken in for a night by a bishop disguised as a poor priest. Valjean steals one of the only things of value from the priest a set of silver utensils. Of course, Valjean is caught, and when he is returned to the priest, instead of sending Valjean to jail for the rest of his life, the priest shows him unbelievable grace and tells Valjean he forgot to take the two silver candlesticks as well, the best pieces of silver the priest owns. Even speaking through it now, I get a rush, not just for the grace shown by the priest, but the grace received by Jean Valjean. This event shatters Valjean, And ultimately, Valjean makes this crucial pivot in his life. At his lowest point, he chooses to accept grace and remake himself. The musical does a great job 
pulling the conversion together and Valjean's soliloquy when he says, I am reaching, but I fall, and the night is closing in as I stare into the void, into the whirlpool of my sin. And, and right here is the conversion. I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. The story of Valjean met me at my lowest point when I was reaching and falling, when my night was closing in and I was staring into the void. At a point when I wanted to give up and I was too sick to see just how incredibly dangerous I was to myself. Something changed in me with that story. I don't know what it is, but I took it to heart that if Jean Valjean could recreate himself, and if I could build characters on the page, well then maybe I could rebuild myself in real life. And so I decided to become someone new. In the same way Jean Valjean said, another story must begin. I took the story of who I was, the old goals I lived by, the crippling beliefs about myself, about my capacity for good and bad, about whether I could keep going, about my value as a human, a father, a husband. I took all of those things and I put them into a little box and I set them aside. And instead I asked, who do I want to be? This is the most powerful question I've ever asked myself, and it just might be one of the most powerful questions in the human arsenal. Because people, you and me, we can change. We can become anything we want to be with enough vision, the right tools, and just an incredible amount of hard work. Who did I want to be? I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be love to my family. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to have intrinsic value. I wanted to thrive. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be proud of who I was. I wanted to be a man. And so, like Valjean, I started a long journey of rebuilding myself to be those things. I used goals so intensely that I developed a love for goal setting. You see, by setting a goal, I could look into the future. I could look at the person I wanted to become and I could build a plan to get there. With goals, I could visualize even being that person. With goals, I could measure my progress. I could fight to be the person I wanted to be. Goals were the vehicle for my new story to begin, and to the story of who I am even today. The irony with goal setting, and I think this is the way with any intentional activity that pushes you into a new and better life, is that you change your inner life first. And from that internal realignment, comes a new external reality. Said another way, I first became a new person in my thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and goals. In my heart and mind and soul, I became the person who could write my book, who could thrive in an ultra-competitive business environment, who was a loving father and husband. It wasn't about me finding myself, as if I existed outside of my body. It was about me creating the person I wanted to be. And then my reality slowly followed it. It did not happen overnight. It took goals. It took discipline and focus. It took every ounce of me. And here's the thing. It worked. It worked. And if it worked for me, I believe it can work for you. And so on this final Monday motivation, I want to encourage those of you who want to make big changes. Those who want to write more, who want to be someone different. You can change. The mountain might be high. You may be staring into the whirlpool of your soul. 
in the same way that I built the person I am today from the ashes of the person I was, you can be the person you want to be. It might hurt like hell, but 2020 can be your year. I want to close this last Monday motivation with a Bukowski poem that I read right around the same time as I was going through such a radical transformation. This poem is still my North Star. I even have the first line tattooed on my forearm. Okay, here goes. Your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There is light somewhere. It may not be much light, but it beats the darkness. Be on the watch. The gods will offer you chances. Know them. Take them. You can't beat death, but you can beat death in life sometimes. And the more often you learn to do it, the more light there will be. Your life is your life. Know it while you have it. You are marvelous. The gods wait to delight in you. Thank you for joining me for the launch of How Writers Write. I wish you an amazing week of writing, and I wish you the courage and strength to step into the person you want to be in 2020 and beyond. For some of you, it's time for a new story to begin. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day I'm every day I'm every day I'm hustling, every day I'm hustling, every day.